Hello to all my friends and family joining me on this Thursday afternoon in June. This is Bill Allen coming to you from the West Irwin Church of Christ in downtown Tyler, Texas. Glad that you're able to join in and take part in this study. Uh, the second of our studies from the book of Ephesians chapter 6 verses 10 through 20. This is a, uh, a wonderful uh, study. It is a wonderful passage that speaks specifically uh, about the armor of God. And so I am super excited to be able to share these messages with you and to be able to uh, share from this great, uh, great passage. Uh, hopefully we'll have a few folks signing on and signing in. Uh, and uh, hopefully also we'll have even more that will uh, sign in and uh, take a look at everything here in just a little bit sometime later. Remember these studies uh, post on my page, of course, live at 3 p.m. on Tuesdays and Thursdays, and then they also will post on um, our website, westerwin.com, Irwin, E-R-W-I-N.com, and then also uh, we are... Uh, we'll show those. They'll, they'll be on my uh, Facebook page and also on our West Irwin Church of Christ Facebook page uh, after that. So it's a, it's a great blessing to be with you. It's a wonderful thing to be able to share uh, from God's Word together and uh, to be able to, to uh, open God's book, open this wonderful uh, Word of God that He has given us. And um, it's, a, it's a great, great privilege to be able to share that uh, with you. And so uh, let's get right into it. Uh, I will be sharing today uh, the second part of our introduction uh, to this great study. Uh, we looked uh, this past Tuesday at uh, the, uh, the beginning part of all of this, considering um, that question and that great statement from the song, uh, in heavenly armor we enter the land, the battle belongs to the Lord. And that is certainly true, and we find that in this great passage, and it speaks about spiritual warfare, speaks about the spiritual armor that we need to carry on that spiritual warfare. And I want to share, we looked at some passages of Scripture last time from Ephesians chapters 1 and 2, and I want to look at chapter 3 for just a moment as uh, Paul in Ephesians 3 reminds us that yes, the battle does belong to the Lord, and yes, it is a spiritual battle. Ephesians chapter 3, verses 10 through 12, uh, Paul writes these words, speaking of this great mystery of the gospel, how Jesus Christ would be our Savior, and how Paul felt so blessed and so privileged to be able to share that message of God uh, with others. And so these words, starting in Ephesians 3, verse 10, his intent was that now, through the church, the manifold wisdom of God should be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms, according to his eternal purpose that he accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord. In him and through faith in him, we may approach God with freedom and confidence. So we find that that uh, message, that manifold wisdom of God uh, through the church, was made known to the rulers, the powers, the authorities, the principalities uh, in the heavenly realms. Remember in Ephesians 1, as this uh, great book begins, uh, Paul says that we have 
all of our spiritual blessings in Christ. We have been chosen in Christ and that in Jesus Christ we have salvation and forgiveness of our sins. And so now he reminds us that this is uh, what God has intended from the very beginning, that it would be through the blood of his son that he would call on a people that would be his special people, the church, who name his name and who seek his will. That's what we are all about. And so the battle belongs to the Lord, and the battle in one sense is being held in those heavenly realms, as we see. But in another sense, the battle is being held right here, right here in this world. Uh, the battlefield for us today is the world we live in every day, and it's a, a rough battlefield, and it's a, it's, a, it's a very hard battle. And we all get that, and that's why we pray. In fact, this passage in Ephesians 6 Verses 10 through 20 ends uh, with that great call to prayer. And so as I uh, shared a little bit earlier this afternoon <clears throat> about this study on my Facebook page and announcing it, that it would uh, uh, take place today, I asked the question, is the church a cultural church? And then I answered it, and my thinking is, yes, it absolutely is a cultural church. And you're thinking, wait just a minute, I don't, I don't think I like that. I don't think the church should be submissive in all aspects to culture. And I agree with that statement. I don't think so either. But that's far from saying that the church is a cultural church. Because it is a cultural church. We live in the world. We live in a certain time and place. Uh, and we're a part of a certain culture. That's just a part of the human experience. And so when you think about it, why do we do half the things we do or more, almost all of the things we do, we do them because of our particular cultural background and setting. That's why we sit in the pews we sit in. That's why we sing the songs we sing. Uh, that's why we uh, wear the clothes that we wear. That's even why the sermons are as long as they are. And you're thinking, well, Bill, gee, where, where do I go to a different culture to get shorter sermons? <laughs> well, interestingly enough, uh, even Bill's sermons are pretty short when you compare them with other cultures. As you know, there are lots of other cultures that will make a day of it. Even Paul in Acts chapter 20, when he met with the church at Troas on his journeys, uh, he spoke to them that evening, and, and because he was going to leave the next day, he just kept on speaking until midnight. Uh, I don't believe that I've ever done that, uh, preached a sermon for hours, but I have been involved in meetings, especially in Ukraine, where we stayed quite a long time. And no matter how long we stayed in that wonderful mission work, uh, they were asking for more. They, their hands were always up to ask questions, and they were always open to us continuing uh, to preach and teach God's word to them. Well, what's the difference? Well, the difference is not teaching of scripture. The difference is, is culture. Again, speaking of Ukraine, I remember the first time I went in 1998, and we were holding meetings from uh, our wonderful church at Woodland West in Arlington. Uh, later on, I would go and work with the summer youth Bible camps with our great, great church in North Carolina, South Fork Church of Christ in Winston-Salem. But in 1998, 99, and 2000, I went with a group from uh, Woodland West in Arlington. And we went and we held meetings. We helped establish a church on the left bank in Mariupol in the Donetsk region 
of Ukraine that has been through so, so much difficulty over these last several years now. Um, but I remember I was preaching a series from the book of John and I couldn't wait and I had all of my text ready and I had all of my illustrations ready and as I was there and as I was looking out among those people and I was looking at the illustration that I was about to, to make to, to uh, connect with the, the teaching of, of John in that gospel, I realized this doesn't make any sense to them. This is an illustration that is great for a church in Texas, perhaps, but for um, a fledgling church, a new church, for people who are in a different culture in Ukraine, it has absolutely no significance. And that, that taught me a lot. That taught me a lot. And, uh, and so I, is the church a cultural church? Well, yes. But see, that's different than saying the church is a worldly church. The church is not and never should be a worldly church. What's the difference, Bill? Well, the difference is a worldly church has uh, accepted and taken on all the values of the world. And that's different than saying I'm wearing this today because it's culturally acceptable on a Thursday afternoon uh, in Tyler, Texas in 2021, in June especially. Um, well that's that's one thing that that's okay there's nothing wrong with that but it's a whole different thing to be able to say well i'm going to accept the values of the world into my own life as an individual disciple of jesus christ or into the life of our church uh, that is that is not the case uh, and and so we're called to be a, a cultural church accepting the culture that we live in but we're called to be the salt of that earth and the light of that world, in the words of Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 5. And so a similar question is, are we a first century church or a 21st century church? Well, I don't think we're the first century church. We're not, because when I look at the calendar, it says 2021. And so very simply put, that means we're the 21st century church. But again, we're not to be worldly and accept the values of our 21st century culture but we are to understand that we don't dress like they did in the first century. We don't talk like they did in the first century. We don't sing like they did in the first century, but we do worship and serve and live according to the word of God, just as they did. We just do that in the 21st century in our culture, in my case, here in Tyler, Texas. And in your case, wherever it is that you are, wherever it is that you live, we maintain the values of God's word the values of Jesus Christ. What was important to him should be important to us. Uh, what he uh, called us to stay away from, that is what we are to do. Um, and so as we consider that, the cultural church of the 21st century, wherever you are, this church that maintains a, uh, a belief that the Bible is the inspired and authoritative word of God and that we seek to live by it and according to it, in our personal lives and in our church life as well, uh, in whatever culture, uh, whatever area we find ourselves. So engaging the world in order to transform the world is our purpose. Uh, we are called to, um, uh, to praise our God and to do that. In doing that, we are called to, um, uh, to transform the people and the world around us, to help them to move away from being worldly in their lives to being a disciple 
of Jesus Christ, a Christian, a part of this great church that Paul spoke about in Ephesians 3. So how do we do that? Well, a couple of things. First of all, we are separate and called out of the world. Again, we're not a worldly church. Um, we're separate from that church. And there are lots of passages of scripture we could look at. A significant one is Romans chapter 12 uh, that we discussed a lot in our Roman series here um, at West Irwin just recently. And in, in Romans chapter 12, Paul begins to apply everything he said for 11 chapters. And what he says is, we are to present our bodies, ourselves, our lives as living sacrifices. Just as Jesus died on the cross, we die to sin, Romans 6 tells us, and we're buried with Christ through baptism into death, and then we're raised to live a new life. Well, that new life is different from the life of the world. People in the world, they don't get that life, but we do. And that may mean that we have to make some sacrifices along the way, and we're willing to do that uh, because that's what Scripture calls us to do. In 1 John chapter 2, in a very familiar passage, the Apostle John says, we're not to love the things of the world, uh, the pride of life, uh, the, the kind of values that the world has. Um, we're, not, we're not to do any of that. Uh, the lust of the flesh, we're to stay away from that. The, the lust of the eye. Uh, Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount also speaks of those things. Even going back to the Ten Commandments, we're called uh, to not be materialistic, to not covet, and to place value upon God's Word most of all, and value upon others above ourselves. That, that, is, that is the basis for uh, all life that is going to be pleasing to God, to love God first of all, as Jesus said, the great commandment from Deuteronomy 6, and then to love our neighbor as ourselves, the second greatest commandment, which is found in Leviticus 19, verse 18. We're separate. We're called out of the world. In Peter's language, uh, in First and Second Peter, he calls us resident aliens. He calls us individuals who are not in our homeland, and yet we're here for a while. We're not just uh, temporary residents. We're, we're here for a while. Uh, but we're, we're, it's not a permanent thing, but it, it may last. And, and just like Jeremiah would write to the exiles in his day who were in Babylon, and he would say, look, you guys are going to be there a while. So you might as well pray for the place and the people where you are and, and plant roots, you know, uh, get, a, get, a, uh, get a house, plant a garden, uh, realize that you're going to be there for a while. Not forever, but for a while. And so if it goes better for those around you, then it will go better for you. And in the same way, we're called in 1 Timothy 2 to pray for our civil authorities, to pray for our land, to pray for the people and those in authority where we are right now. We realize, as Paul writes to the Philippians in Philippians 3, that our citizenship is in heaven. That is exactly true. But our residency is here on this earth right now. And so how do you do that? Well, you, you live here in the world in a particular cultural setting, but we're separate from the world. We're not to be identical to the world. We're not to accommodate the world and its values and begin to have them in our own lives. In fact, Peter says in 1 Peter 4 that, that people are surprised 
when we don't maintain their values. Uh, they, don't, they don't get it. They don't get why we give so much of ourselves, why we are willing to give our money and our time and our energy to helping others and to worshiping our God. Um, they don't understand that. Uh, the world lives by default selfishly, but uh, we deliberately choose to live uh, differently, to live unselfishly, to bring glory to God. Richard Niebuhr in his great book on Christian ethics, Christ and Culture, says that we are not, it is, we are not to be the same as our culture. We're not to be uh, of our culture. For example, with, as he compares Christ and the culture, he says Christ, the Christ of culture is not uh, true according to Scripture. And Jesus didn't accommodate himself to the culture. If he had, they never would have killed him. But they did uh, because he refused to accept the values of the culture and the world around him. He was not the same as culture, and nor should his people be. We're separate and called out of the world. But secondly, we are sent into the world. <laughs> and you're thinking, wait a minute, how can that be true? Well, go with me here for just a moment. Jesus tells us again in Matthew 5, we're to be the salt of the earth and the light of the world. In fact, he says nobody lights a lamp and then puts it under a bowl. They, they, they put it on its stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. And then he says, in the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. He wants us to do those good deeds, not so that we can receive praise, but so that God can receive praise and so that others can be drawn into this faith and join us in praising our great God. Uh, that's why he tells us to go into all the world in Matthew 28 and the Great Commission and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit and continuing to teach them everything that we have learned as well, everything that we learn together from our study of the scriptures. And he promises that he'll be with us always. His wonderful presence through his Holy Spirit continues with us even today. We're to be his witnesses. Uh, Luke writes in Acts chapter 1 verse 8, beginning right where we are in our setting and then extending out to other regions around us and then ultimately to the ends of the world. Paul says he was not afraid, ashamed of the gospel in Romans 1 because it is the power of God for salvation to the Jew first and then to the non-Jew because in the gospel the power of God is revealed. And that power enables us by grace through faith to receive the righteousness that comes from God. We are sent into the world. And a great passage that brings that out is John 17. Remember Jesus uh, just before his death. He met with his apostles for hours and hours and then prayed with them. And during that prayer, Jesus says this in John 17, beginning in verse 14, as he speaks to his father. I have given them your word, and the world has hated them. For they are not of the world any more than I am of the world. My prayer is not that you take them out of the world, but that you protect them from the evil one. They are not of the world, even as I am not of it. Again, verse 17, sanctify them by the truth. Your word is true. As you sent me into the world, verse 18, I have sent them into the world for them I sanctify myself that they too may be sanctified. 
Jesus says we're not of the world any more than he is. And then he says, I have sent them into the world. And we want to say, wait a minute, Lord, I, we're okay with you taking us out of the world. That'd be great. <laughs> and Jesus just kind of smiles probably and shakes his head and, and then says, you know, one day we'll do that, but not today. Today, you're where I need you. You're where I want you. And I'm sending you out into that world with the word of God to sanctify you, to set you apart, to make you holy, to make you different. And yes, that difference is going to cause you difficulty. Earlier in this uh, section of the Gospel of John, in John 16, verse 33, that wonderful statement, I've told you these things, Jesus says, so that in me you might have peace. In the world you'll have trouble, but take heart, I've overcome the world. Uh, biblical peace is not the absence of conflict or trouble. It is simply that in the midst of the storm, we can be at peace because we have the presence of Christ and because he has already won the victory. He has already overcome the world. What a great and incredible blessing that is. Randy Harris speaks of it this way. He asks, is there too much world in the church or maybe not enough church in the world? And that is the tension, isn't it? We're separate from the world, as we said, and yet we're sent out into the world. We are a cultural church because we're reflective of the culture that we live in. But we're not to be a worldly church that reflects the values of the world around us. Uh, and so I agree with, uh, with Randy Harris that we don't need any world in the church, that's for sure. But we definitely need the church in the world. We definitely need the witness of Christians as the light of the world. We're not to be isolated from the world. We're not to avoid the world, but we're not also, we're also not to be accommodating to the values of the world. We're not to be identical to the world. Uh, Christ is not against culture, and Christ is not of culture, using Niebuhr's terms. But what Christ does is he transforms culture. Christ transforming culture. That's what we are to be about. That's what we are to do. With Christ as victor, we seek to engage and transform the world around us, starting right where we are, just as Luke told those first, uh, those, uh, first disciples in Acts chapter 1, verse 8. Rather than accommodating or avoiding the world, the two extremes, rather than becoming identical or isolated from the world, we must seek to transform the world through our faithful obedience to Christ and service to others. They first of all see our lives live faithfully. They see our good deeds. As Jesus said in Matthew 5:16, as Paul wrote in Ephesians 2:10 and Titus 3:8 and as James wrote in James chapter 2. Biblical faith is an active, serving, working faith. We get that. We don't do it to deserve and earn our salvation. We do it because God has already saved us by grace through our response of faith. Um, that's how we win the spiritual battles, is by considering this spiritual armor that Paul speaks of in Ephesians chapter 6. Um, C.S. Lewis said, Jesus did not say, go into the world and tell the world that it's quite right. He didn't say that. But nor did he say, go into all the world and tell the world that it is quite wrong. And he didn't say, don't go into the world at all. What did he say? He said, go into all the world and make disciples of all nations, 
the battle belongs to the Lord. We live holy lives in the midst of an unholy world. We are in the world, but not of the world, just as Jesus said. We are resident aliens. I love that term from William Willimon and Stanley Hauerwas, based on the writings of First and Second Peter. Jesus lived this way while he was in the world, engaging and transforming the world. And now he calls on us to do the same. Not only calls on us to do the same, he sends us out into the world to do the same. It's a spiritual battlefield. So what kind of armor do we need? Well, let's read that great passage as we close today from Ephesians 6, verses 10 through 20. And next week on Tuesday, we'll begin to look at this spiritual armor in particular. Ephesians 6, beginning at verse 10. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God, the panoply of God, Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Therefore, put on the full armor of God, so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground, and after you have done everything, to stand. Stand firm then, verse 14 with the belt of truth buckled around your waist, with the breastplate of righteousness in place, and with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In addition to all this, take up the shield of faith, with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, and pray, verse 18, Pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all the Lord's people. Pray also for me that whenever I speak, words may be given me so that I will fearlessly make known the mystery of the gospel, for which I am an ambassador in chains. Pray that I may declare it fearlessly as I should. Soldiers of Christ, arise and put your armor on. I'm looking forward to the weeks ahead as we go through this great and wonderful passage. May God bless you.